Kyle asked me how to pronounce my last name, and I, I did instruct him, but it, it gets mispronounced all the time, so I will respond to that, too. Good morning, and it's good to be with you today. Some of my bio is mentioned in the bulletin, and Kyle mentioned it earlier, so you know a little bit of who I am. So I have uh, encountered this morning some people from my old stomping grounds, uh, I guess you could say uh, the Moments area. Uh, my father was pastor at the Moments Christian Reformed Church for a number of years, so that's where, why I had my uh, high school there and then went on to, to college. So we're going to focus uh, this morning on a passage from Galatians, Galatians chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. And I'm going to read through verse 7 of chapter 4. Once again, Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus." If you belong to Christ, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. People of God, it's, it's very interesting to me how we are identified in certain situations or with certain occasions. When I was a child and, and even through college, I was identified by my father. As a pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, he was known in that particular circle. And so it wasn't unusual then for me to be identified as, oh, you're Reverend Tuset's son. That was my identity. After my retirement and our move to South Holland, suburban Chicago, we had four children living in the suburbs of Chicago. Two of them and a daughter-in-law worked for the organization called Bethshan. We then, by those with connections with Bethshan, I, I was then identified as, oh, you're Beth, or you're Adam's dad. 
my identity changed a little bit because of changed circumstances. You've likely had some kind of an experience like that also. Our identification varies by time and by location. Think back with me to the early Christian church. After the event we call Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the people of God, the Christian church continued to expand. The Holy Spirit continued to, to push the believers out of the city of Jerusalem and farther away into other areas. And eventually the converted persecutor, the Apostle Paul, went out to spread the gospel even farther. He went on three distinct missionary journeys. And as he traveled, he preached the gospel and he established churches uh, of those who believed in that gospel message that he delivered. And while he continued then on his travels, he would write letters to those groups of believers to encourage them, to teach them, and sometimes as well to admonish them because of certain practices or beliefs. What we read is from one of those letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, a letter that is addressed to the Galatians. Unlike most of his other letters, this letter is not addressed to a church in a specific city. Rather, Galatia was a region uh, a, a, and a Roman province. Galatia is a region that we would now identify as central Turkey, in the country of Turkey. Paul had gone through the, this area on a couple of his journeys, and many churches were established there, but how many we don't know exactly, but there were believers in that area and churches that were there. It's clear that the Christians there had a relationship with Paul. Paul knew them and they knew of him. Word has come to Paul that there were some problems among the believers in that particular area, the area of Galatia. Problems that Paul felt he needed to address and make clear. It seems that there were some Christians who were also Jewish, uh, of Jews, who had visited these churches in the area of Galatia. And they were insisting that those Gentile Christians in Galatia uh, needed to follow some Jewish practices, some Jewish religious rites and Jewish law requirements, particularly the, with regard to the, the ritual of circumcision. If they were going to be true believers, they had to get involved with all of these rules and regulations and requirements as well. In the process of insisting on this, which is something that Paul had never expected or required, they were also questioning Paul's authority and some of the message that he had preached. As we read through the book of Acts and the stories of Paul's journeys in establishing Christian churches, we see that he often encountered opposition. It isn't unusual for Paul to have to deal with people who didn't necessarily agree with him or his presentations. The truth of the gospel, as you know, is always contested contested by the prince of liars and the darkness of the evil one. So even after Paul had established Christian churches, he needed to write letters to uh, them to remind them of the gospel's truth 
and to counter the untruths that oftentimes were being taught to them. And so that's what he's doing in this particular letter. As far as I'm concerned, this may be one of those passages in Paul's writing where it seems that Paul is getting a little complicated in his teaching and in how he's explaining things. And we may have to read these verses a couple of times uh, uh, to understand what he is exactly saying. And I think that's okay. And I hope today we will all have an understanding of what Paul is teaching here. Since law and strict obedience to law was something that was being misrepresented to the Galatian believers, it is the law that Paul speaks of first in this passage. And understand here that law is more than just the Ten Commandments. We talk about the law when we refer to the Ten Commandments. But there are lots of other instructions or requirements or expectations that are contained in the first five books of the Old Testament that is then referred to as the law. And the role of the law, Paul says, was very specific. He calls it the custodian, the, the guardian of God's people. It was intended to, to keep people in line. It was the means by which people were, were shepherded under God's care, that law, those instructions. Paul indicates a, a somewhat negative aspect to that when he says that people, people were locked up with the law. The law became a, a stern taskmaster, as it were. But it was a guardian in that it kept people in the will of God and in a relationship with God. It guarded their place with God. It was only through observance of the law or, or obedience to the law that people could maintain a relationship with God, a good relationship with God, and have any hope of a good future with God. People heard the law. They knew what it required. But then they were trapped by an inability to keep that law. That's where the negative aspect of the law arose. Now understand that this was, of course, before Jesus came. Jesus had not yet come when we were talking about all of this. Think of that situation then a little bit like this. You and I are in a yard that's surrounded by a chain link fence. That fence all around the yard is keeping us in the yard. It's also keeping us safe from any of those threats or dangers that are outside of that yard, outside of that fence. And the fence is also keeping us in a relationship with the fence builder. The one who built the fence wants a relationship with us and ha has to keep us inside that yard to build that relationship. And so it's established for that purpose. But every so often, we want our supposed freedom. And we cut the fence and we leave its protection, and we expose ourselves to all sorts of dangers and threats. And in addition, by, by leaving that fenced area, we break our relationship with the fence builder. The fence was our guardian, 
and also a restrictor for us. And so the law served as a guardian for us, but also that which, to use Paul's word, uh, locked people up, kept them somewhere. However, when Jesus came, what was important was now not adherence to the law, but faith. Belief in Jesus, or faith, was what affected one's relationship then with God Almighty. Faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came, as Paul says, under the law. He was one of those that was in that fenced area, as it were. But Jesus perfectly kept and obeyed the law. He never once went outside of the law's requirements. Then when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we benefit from his having kept the law. Because, Paul says, by our faith, we've clothed ourselves with Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect law keeper, we are then seen as perfect law keepers. We're no longer, and so we no longer need the law as our guardian. We're not locked up by the law. And Paul makes the point that faith in Jesus is not reserved for some specified group of people. Remember, the law was given to the Israelites only. God didn't publish it abroad throughout the whole world. He gave it to the people of Israel. But faith is available for all, for anyone, for everyone. All can be clothed with Jesus Christ. This, by the way, is the same point that the Apostle Peter was taught, taught shortly after the, the Pentecost event when he had a vision of a, of a sheet of, with animals on it coming down from heaven. Animals that were appropriate to eat and animals that were restricted to eat. And, and Peter is taught that he, it didn't matter whether they were restricted or not any longer. And this vision happened just before Peter was called to go to the home of a non-Jew, a Gentile, a Roman, the centurion Cornelius. That story, by the way, is in Acts chapter 10. The point that Peter was being taught by God is that God does not show favoritism to Jews to the exclusion of the non-Jews. So again, what some people had been teaching to the Galatians was not only contrary to Paul's teaching, it was wrong. What was important was not following a law, but having faith in Jesus Christ. And that same important principle comes to you and to me as well. How are we right with God? How do we have a relationship that's good with God? How is a relationship built with God Almighty? How are we declared right in the eyes of God? How are we justified to use a theological term? Paul's clear teaching is that through faith in Jesus, that relationship is built and we are right. The Jesus who is spoken of in the Bible, the Jesus who was crucified and raised to life again, believe in him and salvation is our gift from God Almighty. But it seems to me that our struggle is that we seem to 
fall into the same kind of wrong ways that Paul was addressing to the Galatian believers. And that is, we seem to think and to live as though a strict obedience to a set of laws or rules is what builds a relationship with God and ultimately brings us salvation. We fall into that way of thinking once in a while. So, for example, after having committed a sin that we're particularly conscious of and shamed by, we seem to think sometimes that if we do a few obedient activities, then that will make up for the sin that we committed. We place ourselves once again under that law custodian, the guardian, the law. So think about that. Have we ever told ourselves that we have an obligation to attend worship in order to stay on God's good side? Attending worship out of obligation instead of delighted willingness. Have we ever told ourselves that we must never misuse God's name or curse in any form, again, to keep on God's good side and, and to earn God's love somehow by our behavior? Obligation instead of delighted love in God and in his name. Have we fallen into the same problems that Paul was speaking of, about here in the book of Galatians? Salvation comes through faith. Our faith also, praise God, it is by faith that we are saved. That's something that we need to keep reminding ourselves of. Paul here indicates that something dramatic has happened to believers because of Jesus Christ. Again, our relationship with God is now determined by faith in his Son. And with faith, we are in Christ and are clothed with Christ. I want to explore that concept a little bit this morning. When we think of something or someone being clothed with something, we, we think of an article of clothing that, that we put on. Perhaps... Uh, it might be like thinking of usually a child that putting on a Spider-Man costume or, or maybe the turtles, they're more popular, I suppose, now, or a Barbie uh, outfit of, of some sort. We have granddaughters who used to love to play dress-up. They would put on fancy dresses that made them look like one of the characters from a Disney movie, uh, an Elsa or a Belle or Jasmine, they love to dress up like that. They put on those clothes, and though they put on the clothes, they don't then become those characters. They may look a little bit like them, but they're still totally themselves. But when we talk about being clothed with Jesus... It is more like putting something on that stays there. It isn't referring to something that, that we, we put on and that then can somehow be taken off just as easily as we put it on. That's why Paul used a phrase here that he's used frequently in his letters, and that is being in Christ. It seems as though that Paul is saying that while being the same people, yet we become something different as well. 
We're clothed with Jesus. We are in Jesus by faith. We are Jesus people now. Our identity is wrapped into Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is so amazing in, in so many ways. Of course, it means salvation in Jesus Christ. It means that our, our sins are obliterated forever. They have been in Jesus, Jesus Christ. As Paul says in other letters, we died with Christ and we were raised with Christ. Our sins are gone forever in Jesus Christ, crucified and risen again. That equals salvation, of course. It also means that we are now friends with God, no longer his enemies. Hallelujah for that. We're friends with God, not his enemies. It also means that since Jesus is the Son of God, and therefore an heir, he is called, we who are clothed with Jesus and who are in Jesus are also sons and heirs of God. Jesus, we know, is the natural Son of God. I don't know how else to say that. He is, always was, and always will be the Son of God. When you and I place our faith in Jesus Christ, we are in Christ, and then claimed by God the Father, chosen by God the Father, now to be His children. We are adopted by God. So when God looks at us now, he sees one who is a son, one who is his child. You and I are children of God. Isn't that an amazing thing to say? I'm a child of God. You're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And as Jesus will always be a son of God, we will always be the children of God. Always. Nothing can change that. The status is set. It is legal. It is binding. It cannot be changed. Adoption is something that's important in, in our family. My brother and sister were both adopted. My wife and her brother were both adopted by her parents. Uh, four of our seven grandchildren have been adopted into our family. It's gone to court. It's legal. It's final. It's finished. It can't be changed. It's done. We've been adopted by God. We are his children forever. No matter what we were before, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, we are one in Jesus Christ. And with Jesus, we are the children of God. Paul points out that being a child, and more specifically for him, a son of God, means that something more comes to, uh, to us. We are heirs of God. We are those who inherit something. In Paul's day, the normal situation was that only males or sons could receive an inheritance, and that's why here he talks about sons. This isn't some sort of a sexist snub to females or, or daughters. In his societal situation, it meant far more when talking about an inheritance to talk about sons. But remember that Paul had also said that when we are one in Christ, all of those kinds of differences that we like to emphasize and talk about, they're of no consequence because we are all one 
in Jesus Christ. We who believe are together the children of God and sons of God in Jesus and heirs, therefore. There's an old children's song that was around when our children were little, a song by Dottie Rambo, which has these words. I am adopted. I'm a special kid, you see. I'm proud to be a member of a royal family. My father owns a kingdom, and he sits upon his throne. He gives me everything I need. It's nice to just belong. And then the chorus continues, I'm adopted. I'm chosen. I bear my father's name. Yes, we're part of a royal family. We are the children of one who owns the kingdom. And as his children and heirs, the kingdom is ours too. The Apostle Peter once again speaks of that inheritance in his first letter. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. Because we are the children of God. An unspoiled, uncorrupted, permanent inheritance. That's what it means to be a son of God, a child of God. We are heirs. But now the Apostle Paul here in this letter doesn't want us to only think about something that's uh, kind of off in the, in the distant future, that, that inheritance that awaits us someday. Paul says that because of our status as God's sons and heirs, he has sent the Spirit to us. This is the Spirit who leads us to call out, Abba, Father! This is the same Spirit that Paul talks about later in his letter in this way. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And he goes on to say that means exhibiting what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. We've probably heard these before. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If as sons and heirs we were only to focus on that sometime off in the distance inheritance, there wouldn't be any need to speak about these sorts of things. But because we are the children of God, here and now, we've been given the Spirit. And because we are the children of God, the Spirit directs us into proper behaviors as members of the royal family. Being in the family has certain behavioral expectations, we could say. We've seen that with the royal family in Britain. There's all kinds of behavioral expectations that we hear about, all that hullabaloo out there with that. We also actually saw that some time ago with the uh, Jordanian royal family. The Jordanian king had his uh, half-brother, a prince, uh, silenced because some of the prince's actions were deemed inappropriate for part of the royal family. Being in the royal family requires proper behaviors for those who are the children of God as well in that royal family. We don't just live our lives with our eyes directed heavenward to that inheritance and care nothing about what we do here on earth. Being the children of God leads to expected behaviors directed by the Holy Spirit. But now, not because we're obligated to something by law expectations. 
not because we want to gain some kind of a position in the kingdom of God, not to attain being clothed in Christ, but rather to demonstrate that we are part of the royal family of the great King God Almighty, to show that we're God's children. Now, we're not perfect. We're not perfect children of God. So we mess up once in a while. I do. I'm assuming you're not different than me in that regard. We mess up once in a while. But that doesn't change our status as the children of God. And it doesn't change our position as heirs of God in Jesus Christ. This was the wonderful message that the Apostle Paul declared as he traveled bringing the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is the message we celebrate from the Word of God. It's with awe and wonder that we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is with amazement that we acknowledge that we have been clothed with Jesus Christ. It is with astonishment that we receive that good news that God has chosen us and adopted us as his children. It is with delight that we celebrate that we are heirs with Jesus, the Son of God. This is the message that we proclaim. This is what we seek to live out in the world. We are the children of God. Praise God. Praise His glorious name. We're His children. Please pray with me. Almighty and gracious God, our Father, thank you that you have chosen us as your children. Thank you that you have adopted us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have given us the privileges of sonship. Thank you that you have an inheritance awaiting us. Thank you for that glorious truth. Help us to live now truly as your children, as the ones who seek to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.